0: Welcome to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with
1: John Hennigan where we're going to cast and blast you right out of this world with some of the best hunting and fishing stories that you can't even imagine. This is John Hennigan and we are talking with uh, Fish Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, First of all, I would like to say I hope everybody's holidays have worked out uh, as best as possible. The other thing is that, uh, you know, there's still plenty of uh, open spaces for the lucky people that are not going to be working between Christmas and New Year. There's plenty of fishing to do. Uh, You At the last minute, you can probably catch a flight to, uh, to Cabo or, you know, someplace where it's warm. But we don't have any ice fishermen on today, but I think we'll try that next week, as that is an interesting subject. I've never tried it. I'm not sure I want to, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that maybe next week. Uh, today we have some great guests. We've got uh, someone that uh, is an artist and has hosted trips, and that's John Williams. Then we have Danny Cadota, who is well-known in Southern California, and he's got a... Uh, the best best information I have it's a prehistoric fish that can reach up to four hundred pounds. Uh, I'd like to find out what that is. I'm, you know, if it's not a tuna, yeah, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking it's it's got to be some sort of a bottom fish, maybe a, a black sea bass. But um, I don't seem to have any information, and nobody seems to know exactly what it is. So that would be interesting. So we're going to have him on, and then uh, uh, we've got. Danny Kadoda is the one with the prehistoric fish. So we're going to find out a little bit about him. And then we also have, uh, coming up uh, during the show... Uh, We've got Brandon Austin, who's come up with an underwater camera that you put on your fishing line. And then my good friend Bob Summerow is going to be helping out. And we're going to be talking about uh, maybe his last trip where he went down and loaded up on some uh, bluefin tuna. So we're waiting to hear from that. The boat's Um, Apparently, there's there's some great fishing out of uh, San Diego if you want to get out and get some blue water fishing. But I want you to remember, you can go to fishtalkradio.com. You can listen to this show or shows uh, as many times as you want in case you miss something or when it's more convenient for you. But we're going to be taking a break, and we're going to be back shortly. So stay tuned, and you are listening to Fish Hunt Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with John Hennigan. This is John Hennigan in studio. And while we got on the line with this, we have John Williams, um, multi-talented. He used to be a professional guide, but now he still does some hosted trips. Uh, and this is the time of the year where a lot of people are thinking that uh, it's time to put your gear away and wait for the spring. But, John, that's not rarely true, is it?
0: No, no. You should be ready to fish at any time. Mm
5: -hmm.
0: Uh, I keep my rods uh, handy (laughs) right near the front door Mm -hmm. in case somebody calls and invites me. Um, Just got back from an upstate New York fishing trip. Oh, really? Fished the first through the 5th of December. Uh, We did get out of town just before the lake effect snow hit, so timing was perfect. But Mm -hmm. we caught a lot of beautiful steelhead and brown trout. Really?
1: Really? On the upper uh east coast i didn't realize that they had uh, uh, steel well, head up
0: there fish fish running out of lake Erie and of lake ontario mm-hmm. and so we were able to hit both those drainages and uh, uh, we avoided the the bump and grind of a bunch of fishermen around us we were able to fish in pretty private water
1: yeah well, just a, a quick comment on Lake Erie and the, the Erie Canal is uh, many, many, many years ago. I spent uh, some time back there, and it was uh, it was a sewer. Uh, matter of fact, at one time, I believe the lake caught on fire because there was so much <laughs> pollutants on top of the water that it actually caught on fire. But they've done a tremendous job cleaning that up and, and created a great uh, fishery with clean water.
0: They have. They drained it while we were there. Lake er- I mean the Erie Canal was drained, and you could see the bottom.
1: Uh uh-huh. huh. Hmm. That's a lot of water moving through there.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was, but it was a lot of fun fishing. Good people mm-hmm. had a great time. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you know, I've been involved with the uh, Fly Fisher Club Orange County for well, on the board of directors for thirty years. Oh. And
1: well, I, I've heard of it before. How how many how many members do you have?
0: There's about 155, 170, somewhere in that range. Wow. And uh, a good group of people. That's why I like to spend a lot of my time. I've met some phenomenal people involved in the fly fishing throughout the years.
1: And is that purely fly fishing?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. So Not to say there's a few of them still don't own some spinning gear, but that's, that's all right. We'll forgive them.
1: Yeah. Well, you can always put a fly on a spinning rod, can't you?
0: Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds like you've done that
5: before.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, there's, there's, uh, I mean, it flies work. There's no question about it. And the presentation uh, sometimes is with the spinning rod, depending on what you're going to do. I know uh, out farther down south at, uh, at Convict Lake, they're tying a woolly bugger on a spinning rod and tossing it out and uh, catching some monster fish.
0: I'm guilty of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's. <laughs> though I I don't own any uh, spinning gear currently, I, I gave it away years ago. Um, I'm strictly a fly fisherman now.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, are, are you a what you call a purist? You tie your own flies, and they're all <clears throat> uh, no artificials.
0: I I do tie them on flies, though. While we're up in upstate New York, we did use some beads. We fished with it mm-hmm. was plastic beads, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you
1: know, but no, I, but no bait or uh parts of fish.
0: No, I never fish with bait. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that. If I was deep sea fishing, yes I would fish with bait. No. But speaking of you know, speaking
1: I'm, of that, have you done any uh, uh blue water fly fishing?
0: Um, limited. I've done a little bit, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much stuck to the. Um, I love streams. I love rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've fished from Argentina all the way up to the Arctic Circle. Wow. And, uh, you know, <laughs> every place in between.
1: Well, we said you, you don't catch fish in ugly places.
0: That's the truth. Mm -hmm. That is the truth. Mm
1: -hmm. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of these different places you fished.
0: Uh, Well, I was at a show uh, years ago, and I saw a fellow who had pictures of uh, the Arctic wilderness and the fish they were catching, Mm
5: -hmm.
0: some Dolly Varden that were in the world class size. And so we booked a trip with him, went. uh, We ended up going three times totally um you put in 40 miles and drift 40 miles of a river uh camping every night over a two week period yeah hmm. it was that was a lot of fun
1: yeah well how far up did you go and when did you do this
0: uh we did that in 2005 2003 and 2001
1: mm-hmm. well um, the obvious question is uh was it cold
0: the first time was ninety degrees. I brought nothing but cold weather gear, and I had to fish one day in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the trip, it got it cooled down. Fortunately. Yeah. But the other trip, the other, the last two trips, yes, there was a lot of cold weather.
1: Well, the Arctic Circle is is uh, encompasses a lot of area.
0: It does. This is northern Alaska.
5: Hmm.
1: Yeah, just north of Canada and. Uh, were the, did you see any polar bears?
0: No, we didn't see any polar bears. We weren't on the coast. We mm-hmm. were inland about 40 miles. Mm-hmm. We did drift to the coast, but we didn't see any polar bears. There was no ice uh, to be seen mm-hmm. uh, along the way.
1: Well, the polar bears like to hang out in the tundra.
0: Yeah, they they really like the ice. Mm-hmm. They they need the ice to be able to ambush uh, the seals. Mm-hmm. But uh, then fishing Argentina, we did that a couple of years ago, fish Jurassic Lake, which is uh, something we checked off our bucket list. That mm-hmm. was definitely some of the biggest and the most um, dynamic fish we'd fished for in a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that uh, the trout family?
0: Yes. They're, matter of fact, they're trout from uh, California that were imported down there about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they've grown to massive sizes. Uh, well, you
1: can, I, su- I suspect they don't get a lot of pressure.
0: They do now. There's a lot of people going down there. There's three lodges that, that encircle uh, the lake. Uh, we went to Jurassic Lake Lodge, and uh, the accommodations were phenomenal. The cook, the, what you didn't expect was you expected to catch big fish, and which we did. We caught 30 to 60 fish a day per person. Whoa. But the food was phenomenal. Hmm. It's a epicurean delight.
1: Hmm. So, and
0: there's some pretty good wines down there, too.
1: Well, every, I can't imagine it's easy to get stuff in there.
0: No, they fly it in now. They they have an airplane that flies into Jurassic Lake Lodge. Mm-hmm. So you've got about a 45-minute ride uh, down to the lodge, mm-hmm. which isn't a really bad ride at all.
1: Okay. So they're able to bring the good stuff in, Do they serve any local uh, fish or uh, anything local.
0: Yeah, we had uh, matter of fact, we had some trout one one day. Um, but beef is a big thing down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Argentina!
1: Of, yeah, right.
0: Yeah, a lot of grazing land. Yeah, anything uh, that's imported into Argentina carries such a heavy tariff. Mm-hmm. But uh, wine, leather goods, all that is uh, pretty reasonable. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: And I don't suppose they have any local wines, do they?
0: <laughs> They've got a lot of them do from they, the really? Mendoza region. Oh, yeah. The Malbecs from the Mendoza region are mm-hmm. phenomenal.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I would never have thought. But I guess, and, and what's uh, what are the elevations that you fished? How high are these lakes?
0: Oh, uh, this lake was probably about uh, 2,000 feet mm-hmm. from sea level. Um I've fished all the way up to eleven thousand feet Whoa. Uh, Sierras
1: well, how do you get up there
0: in the Sierras?
1: No, they go up to two thousand feet
0: oh, two thousand feet was we flew into Jurassic lake, mm-hmm. but uh, there you know there's lots of lakes uh, around the world that are not very high elevation
1: mm-hmm. okay um and if somebody wants to go with you, how do they get in touch with you?
0: Well I don't uh, I don't just book trips and take anybody. i I work through the Fly Fisher Club Orange County. I know the people I'm going with and I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and they're all just as passionate as you.
0: Pretty much. You know, I <laughs> I select my friends pretty well, I think. <laughs> okay.
1: So get in touch with John through the Orange County. What is it? Fly Orange Fishers County?
0: Club, Fly Fishers Club Orange County.
1: Fly Fishers Club Orange County. Okay. Well, that's or very FF, interesting, John. I, we appreciate you FF, coming on.
0: ffcoc.org is our website.
1: That Got it. Okay. Thanks, John. You are You're listening to you. Fish Talk Hunt Radio, and we're going to be back shortly.
5: The
3: best wing shooting is in Nayarit, Mexico. It's absolutely incredible and is only $2,650 U.S. dollars per person. Includes four nights lodging, three days hunting, all meals, non-alcoholic beverages, transportation, bird boys, cleaning and packing of all birds. You'll even be provided, free of charge, a quality shotgun over and under or automatic, either a Beretta or Browning, three cases of shotgun shells, even the tips are included. Bird season starts soon, so book your adventure today. Contact support at thegrizgear.com. That's support at thegrizgear.com or call 434-953-8598. That's 434-953-8598. <laughs> tell you about a fantastic boutique hotel on mag bay called the mangrove inn located on the estuary in lopez mateos this unique hotel will connect you with nature the whale watching is incredible they have the best onshore and offshore fishing guides and even bird watching guides. And the estuary fishing. You can even kayak fish the estuaries right from the hotel. The chef will even cook your catch. Check it out at mangroveinbaja.com or call 434 953 8598 to book your adventure. That's
5: 434-953-8598.
1: Welcome back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with John Hennigan. This is John Hennigan, and we're going to keep John Williams on for just a couple of minutes because we want to bring Danny Cadota on and they're both passionate fly fishers, uh, so let's see if we can swap some stories a little bit. That uh, John, thanks for um, holding in there, and Danny, no, it's I'll- a pleasure. Uh, um, I want to hear about this prehistoric fish. We'll get into that in you know a little bit later on. Okay. But uh, apparently, you are. Um, and also, uh, primarily—is it primarily or only a, a, a fly angler?
7: No, no, no. I I do everything. In fact, I—that's—I uh, I do the least amount of fly fishing. I, you know, I came from running saltwater fishing boats to my bass fishing. Uh, of course, I mean, I've been trout fishing since I was four years old too. So, but fly fishing came in uh, later, you know, in, in my career when I was repping for G. Loomis, mm-hmm. you know? and Able reels and a few other fly companies. You know.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's great stuff. And yeah. I would like to introduce uh, Danny uh, John. Uh, Danny Cadota uh, has got some interesting stories. We'll see if we can get some of that out of him while we've got the both of you on the air. Sounds good. Okay. All right. Now, John, is uh, uh, you know we didn't really talk about uh, your artistic um, talents.
0: Well, I was I I've always been interested in art. I got an art degree in college, uh, working in ceramics and uh, all types of fine art, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, worked as a paper salesman my career, and then. Upon retirement, I'm back into art again. Mm-hmm. I decided that uh, that's where I needed to be.
1: And what do you what do you do with the art? Is this uh, do you have a line of uh, um, items that you that you sell? Or is it just a hobby, or what what is it you do with the art?
0: Well, I, I I'm a firm believer. I'm I am retired, mm-hmm. though I do sell my work. Um, I don't have a website. Um, I sell some through different fly fishing stores and. Uh, um, looking to expand that a little bit, but I don't want to make it a job. Yeah. I want to make it... I'm retired. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, something like that is, is pretty... Um, by by the hour, you don't really make that much money.
0: No, no, and and it's a flavor of love, really. Mm-hmm.
1: And what is it you're working on now?
0: Um, fly fishing has taken over my life. You know, about... Um, Thirty-nine years ago, a friend of mine said, "Hey, you want to go fly fishing?" I said, "I've never. I don't know how to fly fish." He said, "You don't need to buy anything." Several thousand dollars later, yeah, uh, here I am. Yeah, but <laughs> but it it changed my life. Yeah, uh, I've always loved the outdoors, and it you know it took me to places where there's streams and rivers and lakes and just gorgeous scenery,
5: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, and that's some gorgeous fish as well. So it's a combination
7: of a couple loves.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, Danny, where do you normally fish?
7: Well, all over. <laughs> I just got back from fishing down in Guyana, down South America, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, they, they got one more fish off my bucket list, mm-hmm. the Arapaima. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's, that, that's all Greek to me.
7: Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a, <laughs> almost a prehistoric type fish, but uh, I was fortunate enough to get a couple good ones. You know that uh, one, the one went between one hundred and fifty and one hundred and seventy-five; the other one between two hundred and fifty and three hundred pounds. All right, since you know, it's, you said it's wow, a prehistoric
1: yeah. fish, let's go ahead and get into it and try and figure out what it is. Uh,
7: it's an air breather. Actually, it comes up every forty-five minutes to uh, take a breath of air and then goes back down. But they, the scales are huge. It's probably one of the older. Fish in the world, you know, you just by looking at it, it looks a little prehistoric, you know. But it's overfished throughout the world, and uh, as I know it, I think Thailand has some. South America, it was pretty prolific at one time, but because of the food quality, and then it was it was odd. About uh, I think it was about seventeen, sixteen years ago, I we were in Brazil fishing peacock bass, and we went to instead of going to a Brazilian barbecue, we went to a, a fish house and um which I had a, a piece of this pine. I had it cooked a couple different ways. It was absolutely delicious, and that's one of the reasons why it's depleted in South America. And so I went down to a place that a friend of mine, Steve Yutomi, who has Adventure uh, Travel Alliance, uh, started uh working with the government of Guyana and got a 50-mile preserve there, and they're now uh, prolific in that, that river system in the mm-hmm. lagoons. So Was it kind of
1: like a catfish or what?
7: No, they 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 actually they're uh, they're not a, they're not really a bottom feeder. You know, they they'll eat uh, oversized. Bass crank bug or, and some of these swim baits, big swim baits.
5: Yeah.
7: Uh, they got extremely hard jaw, like a tarpon. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult to get the hooks in them and you're gonna have to use, uh, we have the special order 4X gamakatsu hooks that, are sharp enough to stick them but, and, and strong enough so they won't bend mm-hmm. and straighten out. So there's a, there's a lot to it. Um, you know, I I didn't want to take a fly rod down there because of the size of the fish. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've i got second thoughts about that because uh, that area down in Guyana, the Escamibu, uh River, um, is so diverse with piranhas and peacock bass and uh, fish that evolved out of the ocean. It looks just like a barracuda. They call it a picuda, hmm. catfish, uh, payara, you know, the vampire fish. And then in the lagoons where these Arapaima are. They're very, they have to be fished very stealthily, you know, so you can't make sounds in the boat. And, and, you know, even the throwing of the lures and the the banging of the water with the lures spooks the fish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I was fishing, I'm thinking, oh, my God this would have been ideal for, you know, for fly fishing because the the way the fly hits the water, it's a lot stealthier, you know. Mm-hmm. And you could strip it and get bit with that. I, I think you'd have to use a 15, 17 weight, though. You know, and you're going to have to fish a little heavier tippets uh, and possibly a little wire. But I think it'd be an awesome way to fish it. But, I mean, all the species down there, this it's uh, one of the most diverse fisheries I've seen in Brazil I end up pretty much fishing peacocks but you go into Guyana there's such a diversity of fishing it's unbelievable mm-hmm. just phenomenal yeah
1: hmm. but yeah and uh, Danny have have you uh, experienced any of something like that or John?
0: No, I haven't. Uh, it's not that it's not on my bucket list. It just hasn't been down that far on my bucket list. Yeah. Uh, I, but I'm impressed. I have friends who've been down to Argentina and and uh, all over, well, Bolivia and all over the area fishing for Arapaima and uh uh, peacock bass and yeah, yeah. It's one of the things I'm going to do eventually.
1: Now, uh, peacock bass from Brazil. I know Lake Gatun's got tons of uh, peacock bass, but they're a smaller varietal,
7: right? Yeah, right. probably. The, I'd say the largest peacocks in the world come out of Brazil, come yeah. out of the Amazon uh-huh. drainage. Yeah. And you know, it's got to be that black water, so you know, it's usually off the Rio Negro mm-hmm. and, and and you know, offshoots of that.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
7: yeah.
1: Uh yeah, and they're you know, they're they're well known for uh you know, they're so popular because they, they, they like to fight.
7: Yeah, oh yeah. They're explosive. Explosive. Beautiful totally fish, different animals. Yeah. Animal. yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. You're fishing very heavy yeah, and then, ironically you're fishing uh you know, eighty pound line for those things too, and it's it's very odd that as as an ocean fisherman, you know, you're fishing Eighty pound on a river, and and we rarely get to that, even on the ocean when you're fishing some of the big tuna. Oh yeah! But it's it's amazing when you're breaking sixty pound fluorocarbon on a on a peacock bass. You, you don't do it on a hundred fifty pound tuna. So it's pretty amazing. Hmm. You know they're very explosive fish. Yeah.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and that so would that would be the tip it would be sixty
7: pounds. Uh, tip probably eighty.
1: For the tip probably eighty. Yeah. Wow.
7: Yeah yeah they're very explosive and they're you know they got they've got a little bit of teeth, but they're just uh, just their blow ups when they, they they put a cavity in the in the water like a like a hundred and fifty pound tuna does yeah. it's it's crazy your heart stops and it's it's nuts but these Arapima when they come out of the water, it's the same thing now hooking them is a little difficult because they do have that tarpon type mouth it's very hard to get the hook in and so I think the, you know, our prime the ones that have
0: a lot the tall teeth.
7: No, no, very little teeth. You know, okay. it's, it's, like you said, it's almost like a tarpon mouth, very hard mouth. And so it's difficult to get the, uh, you know, to get the hooks in them. Mm-hmm. So you pretty much have to point the rod just and, and jerk back and pull mm-hmm. on it, you know. So it's... Uh, but, you know, the more I thought about it when I was down there, as far as the hooking part, that's probably the most difficult part because they are very stealthy, and your approach has to be very quiet. You can't make noise in the boat or you spook them, you know. So uh, as far as that goes, I think it would probably be a more effective uh, way to fish them. As far as landing them, you know, they're will tow you. they going to tow you around with a fly rod. Mm-hmm. You're going to pretty much have the rod pointed well, at it. Uh, you
5: know? a,
1: a, fly, a fly rod being, you know, long and limber, you can't really put too much pressure on them, can you?
7: No, well, that's why you're gonna to have to fish like a fifteen, seventeen weight, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, because you're gonna need you're gonna to need to get at least get the hook in them, you know. But I think I think it's a very doable thing, you know, after fishing them because they'll tow the boat around, but they don't fight as hard. They will. You do have to contend with their jumping when their heads come out of the water and shake. But I think it's a it's a doable do on a fly rod. That might be a challenge next time I go down there.
1: Yeah, there you go.
7: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something i like to try.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it would be, you know, you're still in fresh water, but that sounds like saltwater fly fishing to me.
7: Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, well, because of the magnitude of your size, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's the one reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as we said earlier, uh, it's not time to put the uh, your gear away because there's always something somewhere.
7: There is well, year round. December. This is December, and you can go out of San Diego right now and go get a limited school sized bluefin out on the sixty miles. Yeah, we're going we're
1: going to talk That's about that. Perfect. I think. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, uh John, you just went down there, didn't you? You know, Dan, I, Danny. I, Danny, I, Danny went
0: down. I,
1: I, yeah. Okay. Hey, friends, who just right. came back from the Upper Owens. Okay. Well, we're going to have to end, end this segment. You guys are fascinating. We appreciate you coming on. You are listening to Fish Hunt Talk Radio.
3: Make Lake Hemet your mountain lake escape in the San Jacinto Mountain Range near Idlewild. The bustling summer season has left the lake quiet and peaceful. Perfect for fishing, boating, and RV camping. Visit lakehemetrecreation.com for details. That's lakehemetrecreation.com.
2: the road stretches for miles in front of you and with the ram 1500 you'll be able to reach mile after open mile it gets a best in class 25 miles per gallon highway so your destination won't just be determined by your gas gauge but by your gauge for achievement and the ram 1500 is the first ever back-to-back motor trend truck of the year guts glory ram See your local Ram dealer today for great deals. EPA estimated 25 mpg highway based on V6 4x2. The
4: East Cape of Baja, Mexico is world famous for sport fishing. Dorado, tuna, wahoo, marlin, sailfish, roosterfish, and parco. The Van Warmer resorts make dreams come true at a price all can afford. Hotel Palmas de Cortez, Playa del Sol, and Hotel Punta Colorado have the biggest and best sport fishing fleet in all of Mexico. Call toll free to 877 777 Tuna to find out how affordable world class fishing can be the finest resorts, and the best boats in East Cape. Call 877-777-TUNA.
2: If you like the show you are listening to right now, you can listen to it and many more just like it on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors, 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit wrvoradio.com online to see the lineup and schedule. That's Reno Viola Outdoors Radio, and enjoy the great outdoors.
0: Welcome back to Fish Talk and Hunt Radio with
1: John Hennigan. This is John Hennigan, and we have a whole studio full. Uh, we've got uh, John Williams, uh, the artist, and he uh, does uh, occasionally, if he's talked into it, he might ho- might host some uh, fly fishing trips, uh, obviously an avid uh, fly angler. And then we have Danny Cadotta. Uh Danny, do you do fishing other than fly fishing?
7: The fly fishing is the, the least area where I actually I, uh, I I do my least amount of fly fishing. Uh, I grew up uh, fishing the ocean, you know, and I ran sport fishing boats uh, from the time I got out of college but and then i cut my teeth you know uh, here at norm's landing here in san pedro oh, yeah. i was 4 years old coming on half day boats with my grandparents on the weekends i uh, been fishing the sierra since i was 4 years old up and bishop uh, walking streams and, and and then i got into bass fishing uh,
5: mm-hmm.
7: on my off days when i was running boats and we got uh, we got very involved in that you know
1: right well norm's norm's landing has been along, around for how long
7: well, since 1958, yeah, you know, wow. and it's a uh, pretty amazing place. You know, scuba diving started here with Roger S. the Meister brothers over at Dive and Surf in Redondo Beach, and, and Jacques Cousteau. You know? Oh
5: yeah, yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it you know, the, I don't know, we're, we're old enough to remember the sea hunt days, but that all started. The boats were from here, you know, and yeah. so there's a lot of history here at Norm's Landing. Uh, you know, the whale watching was started here with John Ogden over at the Cabrillo Marine Museum, and fishing was elevated you know sport fishing and commercial fishing was elevated from where we're at right now I mean Russ Iser the inventor of Lines, yeah would come down every day after work and he was over at 22nd Street and I was here at Norm's Landing and he would bring me different samples. I remember playing with Kevlar's and all kinds of different materials before he finally uh, came up and developed the spectra that we use today. Uh-huh. So he was the father of spectra, yeah. So that was all developed right here too.
1: Yeah, well of course he was well known for Maybe. his mono too.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Eiserlein, lines, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, but it, it's the spectra that made him. It, it changed or revolutionized our industry. You know. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and in it, fly fishing or saltwater fishing. Yeah. It's well, it
1: continues to do so. Also, uh, the braided line. You know, some of the first stuff that came out was very difficult to use. It was kind of oval shaped, and it would stack. Uh, so. Right. It was it was hard to hard to use and and then uh, I know the first time I ever tried it I had actually I had a tackle shop uh, spool it for me and as in Alaska you have
7: to you yeah. have to pack it on because that you got to remember those were only three and four carrier lines
5: mm-hmm.
7: you know so it would flatten out and it would dig down into the spool so if you didn't pack it on with a lot of pressure and crisscross it it would cut into the spool well so it was yeah I,
1: anyway I. Uh, I took it up to Alaska and I hooked into a, a, a big king, mm-hmm. and I had probably hundred hundred and fifty feet of mono on it as a top shot, and when it uh, when the line got through the mono, you know down into the uh, well, it was some Specter at that time, mm-hmm. but it 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 was just uh, it had dug in and there was no getting it out. So right. I spent about 15 minutes trying to nurse it in to get to the uh, uh, the mono, and then it would take off, and I try and bring it back, and then finally it made it run and pop. Uh, because that yeah. line was so difficult to use, and also it was difficult because it would kind of cut you easily if you right. were careful. Right? Yeah, but, it really really spectra. Yeah, you know. but some it of the line out, watch. some of the line out now, especially Berkeley's cut. They've sent me some samples of some. some well, it's a hollow core, but uh, just some incredible uh, microfiber line. Yeah, they lay out so
7: much better now, yeah. and a lot of it's a lot more concentric. I got a 16 carrier line. I did. I was doing a consulting trip over in Japan with Toray, and um, they had a 16 carrier line that is so beautiful. But I mean, the the problem is the expense. It, it makes one yard per hour, and so it's very expensive to make. And well, we uh, need for, to know. Yeah, eleven hundred eleven hundred yard spool of line oh. you know, eighty was was uh twelve hundred dollars. So it's yeah. also out of the Whoa.
1: expense range of most of us do. Yeah. 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 Well it's it hasn't gotten cheap, but it's cheaper. <laughs> but uh yeah. you know, you yeah. get a five hundred yard spool and uh it's gonna set you back for a ways. but of course it'll last a while, but uh um but it's just phenomenal stuff.
7: Oh yeah, yeah. It's changed fishing as we know it, too. Mm -hmm. You know, in fly fishing, I can speak from two different areas. In fly fishing, what it's done is enabled guys like Ray Beetle to catch big, uh, uh, well, not so much tuna, but marlin. Mm -hmm. Because before in the old days, when you had Dacron leaders, the Dacron would absorb the water. And the weight of the, you know, of the line as it absorbed water would break the, the light tippets. And now because inspection oh. doesn't absorb the water, it cuts through Slides the water, through it. Yeah. and it allows these guys to set a lot of world records in the fly industry, yeah. and, the, and in the all tackle industry, where these guys used to have to throw over backup sets of internationals and, and throw another rod and reel yeah. through the water. Right? You couldn't, yeah, they or, couldn't or chase it down, or you'd have to chase it in a skiff. Now yeah, you got all the line capacity yeah, on one reel.
1: Put a put a float on it and follow it.
7: Yeah, but yeah, I'd forgotten all about Dacron. Yeah it changed it tremendously mm-hmm. you know but the properties yeah, yeah. are different you know there's no stretch uh so there's got to be compensation either in the bend of the rod or you know you got to back off your drag so there, there's a lot of different things that we have to adjust to mm-hmm. adapt to it for mm-hmm. yeah.
1: well some of the fish that you guys are talking about catching oh by the way danny didn't you just get back uh from uh bluefin uh, run out of san diego
7: no, no, no. I've I, I wish, but I no, no. I got back from Guyana fishing those there at Lima Oh, Okay, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. What was your biggest one down there? Uh, it was between two seventy five and three hundred pounds, right? It was seven and a half feet. You know, it's all catch and release, so you know you you can't. You can't put it on the scale because they're also very fragile, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you could hurt them, and uh, if you tried weighing them, you could snap their neck because they're just very heavy, you know, and so you don't. They, you jump in the water, and there's three of us that are holding in the water, but they, they'll take a measurement. They pretty much you know by the length, they give you a pretty good estimation on the
1: weight. uh, Instead of catch and release, what I do is hook and release. (laughs) (laughs)
7: Long line release. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's quite a bit of that if you don't have the right tackle. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but uh, no, they. You know those those things. If 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 I get a, a hundred pound uh, uh, yellow or, or blue fin, uh, that's great. I can bring that up. But when you get up around two hundred pounds, I'll hand off the rod. <laughs> hey, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> or, I know that. <laughs> you know, fingers fingers get all f- twisted up, and you you know they they don't make a real big enough to crank on that.
7: So did you do some peacock mass down fishing down oh, there while you were there? My, Frank, this is a fly fisherman's dream down there. and I, I'm going. I, you know, I, I didn't want to take a fly rod because, you know, the size of the fish. But because of the way you have to be stealthy and, hooked, you know, you have to be so quiet, a fly would be deadly down there. Mm-hmm. The other thing is you could stand on a rock in the middle of the river and catch 30, 30 peacocks mixed with piranhas, payara, uh, picuda, which is like a freshwater barracuda. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you name it. It's unbelievable. Just the diversity of fishing is, is way greater than I, I had down in Brazil. Brazil has got the, the world-class peacock. Just, just out of yeah.
1: curiosity, you're talking about uh, um, piranhas. How big do they get? And they're notorious for their sharp teeth. So well, what, piranhas, do you, what do you use?
7: The piranhas down there, we use wire. Mm-hmm. And you're using bass lures, but they have to be through wired, you know. But we're using, um, you know, we're fishing down there probably 15 pound rods, you know, medium bass fishing rods. So it's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, it's, it's not the same rod. We're fishing heavy when we we're in Brazil fishing for the, those trophy peacocks. We we're fishing much heavier gear, almost light saltwater mm-hmm. bass rods, you mm-hmm. know. But it's well, totally different. Totally yeah. different down there. It's awesome.
1: And yeah. you said something about a seven foot rod, or do you use an eight or nine foot for a fly?
7: Uh, for a fly, yeah. You'd probably use an 8-and-a-half, eight, eight and a half, nine foot rod, you know, but you're probably going to have to use a 15 to 17 weight rod, point it. You know, it at the fish, and mm-hmm. they just they get the hook in them because they got a very hard. But it's like a tarpon, very yeah.
1: similar. The monster exactly it, like a tarpon. Give
5: it,
7: give, awesome. it a, give
1: it, give yeah. it a good pull and keep cranking.
7: Yeah, it's it's the adventure part of this that makes the whole trip just amazing because you'll run an hour and a half down the river, and you got to remember there's only a hundred anglers a year allowed to fish this preserve, mm-hmm. and it's all catch and release. So the fishing is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And what happens is you may run an hour and a half, and also they'll pull over the side of the bank, and, and, and there's like maybe a 15-foot embankment at 45 degrees, and you go, oh. what are we doing? Well, they take the engines off. They take the gas tanks out, everything out. You climb up this embankment about 15 feet. They haul the boats up there, an 18-foot boat and they'll carry it a quarter mile into a lagoon, and that's where most of these primates are. So every day you're fishing a different lagoon. It's a lot of work. So
1: you, they actually take the motor off. It's not a matter of just pulling it up?
7: Oh no, you take the motors off and the, the gas tanks and you leave them live at the river, and then they climb up the embankment and then you walk it through the jungle, wow. maybe a quarter mile or so to a lagoon and and it's just so quiet wow. but you'll you'll see the fish coming up or you see okay. a bubble trail and that's that's how you fish them.
1: Well, this sounds exciting. I know there's a lot of people that would like a little bit more information on how to get in touch. Uh, so uh, John, why don't you repeat um, your contact information?
0: Yeah, if you'd like to get in touch with the Fly Fishers Club, Orange County, it's ffcoc.org. And uh, we meet in Orange County once a month. We have a uh, program, uh, a okay. dinner program.
1: Great. And then, uh, Danny, Danny, how do we get in touch with you?
7: Well, this is, you'll see Steve, at, uh, the name of Steve that told me it's, Adventure Travel Alliance, you'll okay. see them at the Fred Hall Show in March, okay. and they do the bookings, but uh, keep in mind, it, it, it's very limited to 100 people, you know, per year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's talking worldwide, so you, yeah. you'd probably want to book it, but it's it's an adventure you'd never forget. And
1: the name, name again is?
7: Adventure Travel Alliance, you can okay. go online and, and, okay. and and look through the site, you could see all the different things that goes okay. out but just well, the nature guys, itself.
1: Yeah, you guys yeah. have been very excited. We gotta go. You're listening to Fish Hunt Talk Radio. <laughs>
6: Welcome back to Fish
1: Talk and Hunt Radio with John Henneken. This is John Hennigan, and we've got a whole studio full of uh, talent. We've got uh, Frank. We appreciate you, uh, you know, helping us out today, of course. And yeah. we have, uh, I guess, we still have Danny Kadota on, right? Yes. Okay. Hey, uh,
5: Danny, uh,
7: the yeah, first couple questions I wanted to ask you: uh, okay. Were you catching the, the black? Piranha or the red-tailed piranha down there. It was it was the black ones. The black ones get they get up to eleven pounds down, down there, Frank. Yeah, and you're gonna have to use wire. But the the average fish, average piranha we're getting were those five six pounders. And, uh, you know, I gotta tell you something. they're delicious. We ate some. They are yeah. absolutely delicious the the red the red piranhas are the ones that are more dangerous. they're smaller oh. they're the ones that are extremely dangerous,
1: yeah, yeah. they like to bite they're, they're Bite aggressive.
7: fingers uh they'll, they'll 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 if you're bleeding, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you don't you don't go in the water with those around if you're bleeding, yeah. yeah. But the black ones are big and they're not as aggressive. They're pretty yeah. aggressive with the lures, but not not so much with uh, not so much with uh, the people and everything, you know. Yeah,
1: but, no, I was kind of that was a question I was going to ask because because it, it would seem to me they you know they're they're probably really bony, but they're but they're not.
7: No, no. When well, you know, never laid out, they're you? perfect. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're absolutely delicious. Yeah, so we we experienced a lot of the different dishes down there. Even the payara, you know, that vampire fish. They wrap them in a banana leaf, and oh my God! When I go to different places, I like to experience the native culture. And you're you're several hundred miles from any civilization. You know, the camp's very remote. It's beautiful. There's Mcalls. In the trees, there's Monk- a host of different butterflies. It's just <laughs> yeah. gorgeous. Mon- you know.
1: Monkey, monkeys in the trees.
7: There's different monkeys. Holler monkeys are very noisy, but you have spider monkeys and another one I can't remember the name. But you know, uh, it's you're you're in the wild. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you have to be careful. You don't go down by the water by yourself because there's there's caiman down there. You know. Caiman, you what's, very, what's that? Uh, like a, it's like a crocodile, wow. And they'll get up to ten, twelve feet, you know.
1: Wow, ten yeah. to twelve feet! Holy smokes!
7: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Saltwater crocs are really not a thing to be around. Yeah, no, 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 and and you're not going to outrun them either. I saw one coming down in an the bank, and on a straight line, there's no way you're going to outrun them. You know, you have to make a lot of ninety-degree turns. Wow,
1: to really screwed, huh?
7: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. but the nature part of the trip too is just phenomenal. It's off the chart. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we said earlier there's no such thing as an ugly place to fish, but there are some very, very impressive places you can fish. Yeah. And uh, just yeah. really getting back into the uh, to the wild and the nature, and yeah, you know, with a fly rod, it's that sounds great.
7: Oh yeah. Well, I think it's even more so with a fly. I think it's their dream because of the diversity. And the type of fish, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be a, a tremendous weight uh, to catch an air and or hook one. Um, landing them, you know, I, you could do it with a fly. You because they end up towing the boat around. You're gonna have to use oh. you're gonna have to use very heavy tippet, you know, just to get the hook in them and four wow. X hooks. Yeah. But uh, you know, because of the stealthiness of the way you fish flies and the stripping, it's quiet. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be more effective than even fishing the artificials. that yeah. The weed, weed fish and the plugs and stuff. Because mm-hmm. it's noisy. Because okay. they'll plop down on the water. And the, the, the and The splash. Yeah. yeah, the splash and the lures. Spook them. So you know definitely okay. the fly is uh, a much stealthier way to all fishing.
1: right well I think we've all learned uh, quite a bit because there's not too many people around that have done the experience this type of fishing uh, especially worldwide but yeah. uh, great story great stuff we appreciate uh, all of you guys helping out with this but we're going have I to we're going to have to let you go and uh, we appreciate you, you hanging in there and, and real quickly Danny how do we get in touch with you again?
7: Well, I'm down here at Pepsi Crab Fish Market and Restaurant. Custom I'm the crab. Okay. Manager, okay. general manager here. So I'm down at Portsacol, which is the old Norm's landing. Okay. General.
1: Sounds great. San Pedro. Yeah. Thank you, Danny. Okay, you are listening to Fish Hunt Talk Radio. Go to fishtalkradio.com and listen as much as you want.